just listen for a moment to you. We stay in this moment with you. God, we thank you that in the midst of where we are at right now, at this exact moment, you're, you're with us through all of our circumstances. Psalms 23 says you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You're here with us in the midst of, of what we walk through. So we thank you for that. We, we glorify you for that. God, give us ears to hear what you're saying and, and heart to, to respond to it today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for meeting us here. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Right, good morning. My name is Josh Locke. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'll introduce my family real quick because there's been a change since the last time I was here. Um, so I would have said I have two boys, William and Andrew. They're awesome, and they are. I have a wonderful wife, Emily, uh, but we just welcomed a new addition to our family, Michael. He's about a month old, right? He's in. Thank you. Yeah, it's for my wife. None of this is for me. Um, He's in a long line of babies that are being born um, this summer, which is awesome at Shiloh. So it's a very, very exciting time for us. Um, so, all right, today we're going to be concluding in the book of Philippians, Philippians 4, and just spending some time um, understanding you know, what the Word of God says and applying it to our lives. And I want to start off with a quick story. So, by show of hands, who would prefer to go to the eye doctor versus the dentist? Show of hands. Yeah, the rest of you are crazy, all right? Let me just say that. Just kidding. Uh, but I definitely don't prefer the dentist. I know that other people do. That's fine. Uh, but I, I never have a problem going to the eye doctor, but I'd like to share just uh, an experience I had at the eye doctor that wasn't ideal, we will say. So I'm playing racquetball. This was a couple years ago. And a ball um, bounces off a wall and hits me in the eye. And normally I wear eye protection. That, that is a must when you play racquetball. You're crazy not to. And I don't know why I didn't. I just, I, I didn't that day. Um, and hit me in the eye, and that could be serious. It wasn't. It was fine. I, I didn't have any issues with my vision or anything, but I, I felt like I should go to the eye doctor just to get it checked out. So I go to the eye doctor. My eye doctor um, often has students come in to, to learn and, and be, like, uh, be with, with him to, to learn until they, they become eye doctors. So sit in the chair. I have a student that comes in. The doctor goes through the spiel and says, this is so-and-so from this school. Would it be okay if he, you know, works on you today? Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no problem. Um, so this young guy, he, he's kind of explained to me what he's doing. And, you know, we have that, that machine that checks your, your eyes with the lenses, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, can you see better here or here, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I go through that. That's all good. Um, and then I'm sitting in the chair, and he's like, okay, so the last thing I need to do is your eye, because it had some trauma, I just need to check. I don't even know what he's checking. Um, but he, he's like, I need to numb it just a little bit and put, put some pressure on your eye. And I'm just sitting there, like, thinking about this and overthinking it, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm starting to feel like I'm about to pass out. I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm like, oh, I cannot pass out at the eye doctor. So I'm doing everything I can to, like, breathe and, you know, whatever I can think of to, uh, to not pass out. Um, and, you know, he goes through it. It's fine. I don't pass out. But he, he asked me, like, to get up to leave, to go to the, the waiting room. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm actually, like, feeling like I'm going to pass out. I just need a minute. 
So, you know, he probably panicked, runs and gets the doctor, because um, they're like, what do you do? No one passes out at the eye doctor. He comes back in. <laughs> I don't pass out. Thankfully, I didn't pass out. Um, and it's fine. And it's fine. So what does that have to do with Philippians? Uh, actually, nothing at all. The only thing I wanted to point out was, you know that machine that the lenses go in? You know the one I was trying to make sure you all understood? So that's how I want to look at Philippians today. I want us to look at Philippians with a couple different lenses to get some clarity as we go through it. Um, and, and really, really um, start off with just reading, reading the verse, right, which is definitely something we should do. Uh, then we'll review the passage. That'll be the next lens. Um, I thought about like having a sound effect, like the, you know, but that, it'll be a lot of them because there's a lot of verses, so we're not going to do that. Um, and then we'll, the next lens will be to pull out the theme, pull out some themes, maybe look at context, historical context, what's going on in the church in that time. Uh, and then we'll look at how does this verse or this passage point us to Jesus? You know, because the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. That's what it's about. If you look at people like Adam and Abraham and Moses, they are shadows and representations of Jesus. They all point to Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. So that's what we'll look at today. How does this point us to Jesus and the gospel? Uh, and then lastly, how do we apply this to our lives, right? How do we make this relevant for us? Um, and, you know, that we'll, we'll look at that throughout, but we'll also kind of recap at the end. So a caveat here, I, I thought about, you know, should we just read through it? And I know that we've done that for the past couple ones. Um, it's a lot. I, I thought, you know, we're going to take a break. I'm going to give you the day off. You don't have to read it out loud with me or anything. We're just going to walk through it together. So here we go. Verse 1, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and crown I receive from my work. So something I learned growing up is if you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look back to understand what it's there for. Right? It, it's, it's really saying, you know, in light of what was just written, in light of what was just said, this concept. So we, we need to look back at Philippians um, 3, 15 through 21, and really the, Paul is closing out that chapter. He's finishing a thought, and he makes a couple comments. The first is, you know, that there are enemies to the cross, Christ, right? That we know that. The church is being persecuted right now. Um, but he says, we are citizens of heaven. Then he also says, and he will take our mortal, our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Jesus is going to change our weak and mortal bodies and bring them under him um, to his own, change up into our glorious bodies into his own, using the same power that he brings everything under control, right? So when Paul says the phrase, stay true to the Lord, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, okay, I, that's kind of maybe not ambiguous, but that's a pretty strong statement. And, and I think the context here is really important to say, let's look back. Paul's saying, you know, in light of what I just said, stay true to the Lord. And what Paul just said is, hey, listen, we're citizens of heaven, right? Jesus is transforming us and changing us. So in light of all that, stay true to the Lord. The context of this, this verse and really the whole book is there's a backdrop of persecution. The church is being persecuted. Paul is in prison as he writes this. Um, so how does this point us to Jesus? Well, I, I was thinking, you know, Romans 8.31 tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? So in light of the fact that we're citizens of heaven, that we're being transformed, staying true to the Lord has a different perspective for us. Right? And, and, and now we know we have Jesus on our side for that. 
So how do you apply this to your life? I think a lot of ways you can, you can look at Scripture and apply this just to say, is just to ask God, like, what does this mean for me? How does this reflect on my life? Um, so maybe asking God, you know, Father, how, are, is there an area of my life that I need to stay true to you? Is there an area that I'm not staying true to you? All right. Verses 2 through 3. Now I appeal to you, Iodia and Syntyche, please help me because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. So, some things that we can pull from this. Paul, uh, Paul is really saying, you know, there's a conflict. We need to get to some resolution, and the church needs to come step in. Right? That, that's the, the sense of this. Uh, if you study this, if you read commentary, we don't know what their argument was about. Um, we know that these two people were working together to spread the gospel, and Paul felt it important enough to address it, uh, to help bring conflict, and ask the church to come alongside. So some themes, I think, that are pulled out here. Um, you know, the work of Christ is being spread. The, the, the church is growing, and Paul is saying, hey, we, we don't want this to diminish the work of Christ. And it kind of puts into perspective, you know, Yes, we have disagreements. That happens in church. That happens in marriage with your friends, with your family. I get it. But the big picture of this, that's what Paul's trying to address is there's a bigger picture here. And he also is addressing the importance of, of church unity. Right? There needs to be unity in our church, unity in the broad church. So when you point it to Jesus, it's really that unity can, can be derived from the fact that we all have one common bond, one common purpose, and that's the gospel. Right, the gospel is what unites us in this. Romans, uh, Romans 12, 4 through 5 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, each, and each part has a special function, so does with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. Right, so Paul's giving us a sense that there needs to be unity for that. Um, I was on a mission trip to Romania once, and you know, we, we fly to Bucharest, we go to this, uh, this other village that we're there, and then we drive kind of into, I think, the mountain area, and we go to a worship church. And if you've ever been on a mission church and you're at a worship service that there's no, that people aren't speaking English, you kind of get what I'm saying here. You know, we, we did communion, and then we do worship, and you know, like, even though they're speaking in Romanian, I don't need to know Romanian to, to be worshiping God alongside, right? That, that's the ultimate um, equalizer is that we all, we all have the gospel as our, our common denominator, right? And, and so that, that's what Paul is getting at. One of the ways I thought, how do, we, how do we apply this to our life? I really think small groups is a great representation of that, right? So small group starts in a couple weeks. Um, you can sign up now. And this is a great way for you to, to build that unity, to build that, that sense of, of um, connectedness and super cheesy. Um, I remember Emily and I went to this family life conference once and family life conferences are, are excellent. They're marriage conferences, but there was a, there was a speaker who was um, older than I was, I'll just say that. And he loves his one-liners. And I was like, you know, th- this is a one-liner I thought of during worship. I didn't, sh- this is a second service special because first service didn't get this. Um, <laughs> you can't have unity without community, Right? Super cheesy, but I think it's true. Um, you can think it's cheesy. That's fine. Okay, uh, verses 4 through 7. So Paul, at this point, changes how he's writing the book, and it's lost in, in our translation, but Paul, um, Paul is, has these big flowing thoughts through, through some of Philippians, and he gets here, and this is really the start of the end of the letter. 
And uh, Paul is basically transitions to almost like bullet points where he, he says a bunch of points together that aren't necessarily connected to each other. He's like, this point, this point, this point. Um, and it's kind of like, this is a bad example, but um, when I leave my son William's room at night, we have a bedtime routine. Uh, you, we pray, we sing Jesus Loves Me, we hum Jesus Loves Me, and then we leave. And with Andrew, it's perfect. We do it, we close the door. With William, when we're trying to leave, he has to like get out a couple things. So like we're closing the door and he's like, oh, dad, blah, blah, blah. Or, like the other day, he's like, dad, make sure you take your socks off before bed. You can't sleep in socks. Just like random things he's saying. And the, again, this is a bad example, but it's kind of like what Paul is doing. He is saying like he's getting these last couple things out before he closes the chapter or closes the letter that he's writing. So let's read. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done for you. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So first bullet, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know, Paul makes a distinction here. He's not talking about happiness. He's talking about joy. Joy is very different than happiness. Nothing wrong with happiness, but happiness is it's an emotion. It's temporary. When you're talking about joy, joy is connected with contentment. Joy is an attitude of the heart. And this is why historical context is really important. The church is being persecuted right now. Paul is in prison, and he's saying, hey, always be full of joy in the Lord, right? He's trying to point people back to joy. Um, and, you know, the, the reason we have joy, the reason we, we have this is because our joy isn't in a circumstance. It's in Jesus. That's why we have a source of joy, because Jesus brought us from, from death to life. Mike Shaughnessy last week uh, was speaking, and he shared that you know, one of the qualifications, if you're going to try to get to God without Jesus, you have to be perfect. That's what God demands, is perfection. And if you're not perfect, you don't get there. Jesus came and gave us a way to get to God, right? So the reason we have joy is because of what Jesus has done for us. His sacrifice and victory is why we can rejoice. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next bullet point, verse 5. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Some translations speak to gentleness in this passage. The, the sense of this, though, that Paul is trying to convey is we need to be intentional. Right? He's saying, let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Paul gives us guidance on how we should live. Um, some, some themes or context. The church is new. People were watching it. Right? People are always watching how you live, even now. How many of you know that people watch how you live in your testimony? Yeah, that's right. If you didn't raise your hand, it's still true. People watch how you live. If, you are, if you, people know you're a Christian, absolutely. They've experienced enough Christianity that wasn't good that they're, they're going to want to see how you're living your life. So that, that's a call for us. It's our greatest, one of our greatest testimonies. You know, Jesus was intentional in how he lived. Um, Mark 2, 17 says, When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Right? Jesus was intentional about who he spent his time with, who he ate dinner with, the places he went. Jesus was very intentional. Uh, and, and that's really the calling that we have. When I was younger, uh, in high school even, um, I did not live my life in an intentional way. 
And I had a friend, my brothers and I had a friend um, that, uh, his name was Richard, and he was in our neighborhood. He kind of was all of our friends. And I just didn't represent Christ. I don't think I did anything overtly horrible. I just didn't represent Christ in, in how I lived. And, and God really convicted me. When Richard was going off to the Navy and I was, I was going to school, um, you know, we weren't going to see each other. God really put it on my heart to say, like, you need to go to Richard and, and kind of make this right. So I did. I, I went to him. Um, I, I kind of told him the whole thing and told him, you know, I apologized to him. And I don't think he really got it, but I, you know, I hope that God planted this seed. Um, but Jesus was intentional. Okay. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done for you. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, oftentimes, um, you know, if you remember a couple months ago, I, I, I spoke and shared how Jesus dealt with temptation and challenges of the enemy. And we, we had Jesus' model, which was, you know, God, your word says this, and then you say his word back to him. Because right? I believe there's, there's really nothing more profound that you can say to God than his own words to him. And you know, th- this is one of those cases where God gives us a process for, for how we should handle challenges in our life. I definitely struggle with worry. I, I can spiral like the best of them. Um, and when I do, I, I go back to, to the word, and I, and I say, God, your word says this. Right? Pray, ask God what you need him, thank him, and the result of that is God's peace. And I, I don't sit here or stand here and say I know your circumstance. Um, and you know, I, I understand and imagine there's a lot of stuff we're walking through right now that would be really challenging. Uh, so I, I just point you to the word of God to say, hey, God, God's word doesn't return void. Right? Don't worry about what I say. God's word's not going to return back. Um, and he will bring that peace to you. So again, the context of persecution in the church, or even Paul's life. You know, Paul was shipwrecked. He got bit by a snake. He was beaten a bunch of times, right? He, he had uh, pretty rough stuff happen to him. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, like, go to God. Thank him for what he's done for him, and he'll, he'll bring you peace in your life. Um, this idea of peace that doesn't make sense, peace that guards your heart. You know, guards are, I picture a guard, and I picture someone who's just kind of like standing there waiting, um, guarding money or jewels or something like that. And, um, you know, maybe that's true, but, like, if you go up to a guard to try to, to take it, guards stop being reactive and are proactive, right? And they're going to fight. And the verse tells us that his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But isn't that powerful? That Jesus, God's peace will guard our heart and mind. It will go on the offensive in that. So where does this peace come from? Um, if you, Matthew 26, if you're reading that, Jesus is in the garden, and he's um, about to be crucified. All the, the events are in motion, and he's praying to God. And he says, God, take this cup from me. Not my will, your will be done. We probably know that verse. Um, if you look at the Old Testament and what a cup typically means from God, it, it typically is representative of his wrath. Isaiah and Jeremiah speak to, speak to this where they'll, they'll say something like the cup of wine of God's wrath will be poured out. Jesus knew what he was about to encounter. It was God's wrath. It was not good. It was not good what he was about to, to handle. And he goes through all of that. So like we have peace that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because Jesus took on that wrath for us and left us with the peace that we have in God. That's profound. That's profound that Jesus has done that for us. 
Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So the, the peace that we have that we can go to, right? Th- this is a promise of God. If you're dealing with, with worry, call on this promise of God. And we can do that because of what Jesus has done. All right, 8 through 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul really gives some instruction on how we should think, verses 8, verse 8, and how we should live or act, verse 9. And there's a sense of, you know, intentionalities there, but also modeling. He's giving us a model for, for what we should be, um, how we should be living our life in the standard of, of Jesus. And Jesus modeled it for us, and he, he told the disciples he was doing that. John 13, 14 through 15 says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Right, Jesus is modeling out life and is calling us to do that. And I thought, you know, how does this apply to our vision at Shiloh, to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and make a difference? Knowing God isn't this checkbox type of thing. Right? We're on a journey of knowing God and living in, in that standard that Jesus has, has called us to, but it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing process that we go through about knowing God, and it, it comes down to how do we think and how do we act. All right, this is a big section here, so here we go. Uh, how I praise the Lord that you, concerned, that you were concerned about me again. I know I've not always been concerned. I, you know I have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. And as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on to Mace- for Macedonia. And none other, no other churches did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want, to get, I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice, and that is acceptable and pleasing to God. This is the same God who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. So three distinct themes I, I can pull out of this. Some verses you're probably like, oh yeah, I, I remember those verses. Well, that's, that's some of the big points here. So Paul says to be content in all things, right? And that, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. The, the Lord challenged me on this a couple months ago about being content in my job, my home, just kind of with, with life, being content where I'm at. And, um, you know, that, that, that's not always easy to do. But if we look at it from the perspective that Paul is saying, he's saying, you know, I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength, that helps us to have a perspective to say, okay, I can see how you, you can get to that point of contentment. Next, Paul is saying, you know, thanks, but. So what happened here is the church had given Paul gifts of money. Um, and Paul is making a real distinction, a, a hard line between saying, you 
No, thank you for the gifts. They were a sweet-smelling offering. Thank you for what you gave. But what you gave is not why the word of God was able to spread. And he's making this distinction because, you know, historically, in in Philippi, there would be philosophers who go around on street corners and, and say things, and people would start to follow them and then give them money. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, that's not at all what's happening here. God's word, God's kingdom is being spread with, without your money, but you giving your money is a demonstration of God's work in you. He, said, he calls it a reward, right? So that, that's the second point Paul's making. And then lastly, Paul points the situation, kind of the broad situation, back to Jesus. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Right, so, you know, the situation that we're in, Jesus meets us in the midst of wherever you're at. I, I prayed this earlier. Um, Psalms 23, 5 says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I just love that idea that, you know, like, you might have a situation here, and you're in the middle of it now. It's not that Jesus says, I'm going to wait till you're done and then party with you. He says he prepares a table with you in the presence of your enemies in that situation that you're in. And, that, and that's really where we can, we can go to the Father in that. So what does that look like? Um, I, I really think, you know, it, it looks like simply praying, you know, God, I have this situation and I don't know what to do. But I'm believing your word that says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Show me what that looks like now. Right? Simple prayers like that where you just kind of tell God what's going on in your heart. Share the verse that, that's encouraging you or, or that you're leaning on. Right? And watch the Lord answer those prayers. Okay, and then lastly, verse 21 through 23. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send, uh, all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. So Paul's closing his letter. He's actually finishing this time. Uh, and two final themes that we saw throughout Philippians and even in this last chapter, and it's unity in Jesus. Paul says, you know, all those who belong in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, he points back just to the work of Jesus, talking about the grace at the very end. Um, and, and that's how Paul closes it. So, you know, I want to share with you kind of the journey that I've been on with this. Um, and one of the things that, that I, I believe in that as leadership we believe at Shiloh is that you know, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God does something. It moves in our life. So when we read Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So as we read the word of God, we're believing that God is coming with his alive word, and he's coming to, to change us, to transform us. And, that, and that's why we study. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why we look at Philippians to do that. Um, and, you know, I believe that as we study God's Word, He's continually going to be speaking to us and challenging us. And, you know, what does that look like? Well, for me, when I would be reading through this, this chapter to prepare, uh, the verse, verses 8 and 9 that talk about, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, that would just jump out at me. And kind of not in a good way. Like it would jump out at me like a zit when I look in the morning on a mirror. I don't know why. And I'm standing here to tell you, I'm not quite sure why that's standing out to me. But I I believe that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
And so maybe, maybe something jumped out at you in worship or today as you're, as you're hearing God's word that we are saying is alive. You know, maybe a verse or a comment is like, it just jumps out at you. It's bolded in your mind. Or you think of like a scenario or a situation that you're in when you hear it. You know, that, that's the Holy Spirit prompting. The Holy Spirit prompting us towards God. So I just want to walk you through how I would, I would walk through that. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to, to hear just the summary of the, of the chapter. And if anything jumps out at you, you know, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we walk through this. So two through three, unity in the church is key. We're all one body. We all serve Christ. Four through seven, remember what Jesus has done for us. This will produce an output in our life. Eight through nine, our thoughts and our actions are critical to our Christian walk. Jesus is the standard. 10 through 20, in all our circumstances, we need to go back to Jesus. It's there that we'll find a refuge in God. And then 21, 23, unity and the power of God at work. So I, I shared with you that verses 8 and 9 have been, have been jumping out to me. So here, here's what I do. If I, if I feel there's a prompting, if I feel like God is tugging at my heart in some way, even if it's small, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through a couple of these steps because I want to equip you to be able to walk through, through that as well. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read that passage, read that verse, read those verses, read a couple of verses before or a chapter before or after, but I'm going to read those verses a lot. I'm going to listen to them. Maybe I'll say them out loud, but I'm going to start to just read them, read them. Then I'm going to take that verse and just lay it out over my life. So, you know, maybe I'll look at my life, and, and this, is, this is something that I'll do. I'll, I'll say, you know, is there anything in my life that is not being, you know, that's, that's not praiseworthy or pure or lovely? And is there any, anything that I'm putting in that's, that's causing that? Um, or I'll pray. My prayer will look simply like this. Like, God, I was, reading, I was reading Philippians, and this verse stood out to me. I don't know why, but I want to be obedient. Would you show me what, that, what you're trying to say to me? Would you show me what that, that, that you, want to, um, you want me to grow from? Maybe you'll journal. You can write down a verse. A lot of people do that where they'll just write the verse down or write your prayers down might do something along those lines, or you'll, you'll talk to people about it, right? Go to your friends, go to your small group, um, go to the pastors here, and maybe just have a dialogue around it to start to, to try to fine-tune what it is God's saying. Because, you know, in my experience, the way the Holy Spirit's going to work is he's trying to get us to come to some understanding, to some point about what God is saying. Um, and it's probably, not, it's probably not huge in the sense of, like, this huge, long paragraph. It's probably pretty simple, um, but profound. And, and that's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to a point where, you know, we can hear God. We can hear what God is saying to us. And then the next step, which is we need to do something about it, right? That, that's really what, what God's calling us to do. This process of transformation is we're hearing God maybe correct us or challenge us in something, and then we need to take a step out and to, to do that. Um, to, to respond to it. And, you know, like, you, you, can, you can probably think from your own life or, or from my life or from, like, Jonah, when God tells you to do something, uh, it's hard to run away from that. Right? It's not good to run away from that. And that's, you know, that's the challenge that God gives us. He invites us to say, hey, this is what I'm saying to you, but the challenge really is that, you know, this is what we need to do. There needs to be some action on that. So we, really, for me, as I walk through this, um, I don't know what that action will be, uh, but I'm going to go through these steps to try to understand from the Father, you know, what are you trying to say to me in this? And then what, what do I need to do about it? So um, let's close in prayer. Father, 
I thank you, God, that your word is living and active. I thank you, God, that you desire us to respond to you. John 10 says that we know your voice. And so, you know, as we think and reflect on the, the chapter on Philippians, on what, you've been, what, you've, what we've been listening to in, in worship, God, as we think back to those things, um, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So even now, would you bring to our, our minds maybe something that's jumping out at us in our mind's eye or in, um, as we read? Because we, we want to be obedient to you, Father. Help us to take your word and, and to apply it to, to you and apply it to our life. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a good week.